Welcome to the Rising Tide Leadership Podcast, where each week we simplify the complexities of your leadership journey. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Rising Tide Leadership Podcast, where we aim to give you critical and easily applicable leadership concepts to help you along your journey. I'm your co-host, Scott, and I have the privilege of talking life and leadership with the owner and founder of Rising Tide Leadership, Dr. Michael David Morales, a.k.a. Mo. Hey, what's up, Scotty? It's always uh, good to be here, man. Let's talk leadership. Absolutely. So I'm pretty excited today um, with, for our topic. Uh, but to start things off, uh, I don't know if you noticed, but innovation and creativity are really all around us. So from the development of artificial intelligence to the vast world that is the Marvel Universe, we're continually crowning new leaders in innovation. And Mo, I'm, I'm sure you have some of your favorites. Uh, but when <laughs> I think about innovation and creativity, I think of George Lucas. Now, I hope most of our listeners recognize that name, but in case you don't, George Lucas is the creator and director of films like American Graffiti, uh, the Indiana Jones series, and most notably, Star Wars. Mm. So most people don't stop to consider the detail and thought that went into creating that universe, but in the biography, uh, George Lucas Alive, the author goes into a lot of detail about how Lucas really agonized over the creator's creative process for Star Wars, and he did that for almost for almost three years. He reviewed multiple plots and characters. He actually researched other science fiction novels. He looked at folklore. He read comic books uh, and, and even watched other movies for, for inspiration. And he wrote draft after draft, often writing and letting that creativity flow for entire days at a time. Uh, part of that that biography talks about how he would get up and start writing at 9 a.m. and sometimes would not leave his room or his writing room until 5 p.m. Wow. And if you, I know, it's pretty crazy. So, uh, but if you know Star Wars decently well, and I would recommend that you highly look into his, his earlier drafts, uh, you'll actually find them pretty different from the final product. Um, there's different planets, there's different characters, uh, completely different plots. It's it's pretty crazy. But I honestly think that this speaks to the reality of what can be accomplished when creativity and innovation are fostered and developed. So I'm sure the studios had their own input and suggestions, but one of the things they did is they, they just let Lucas write. They empowered his creativity and they empowered his innovation. And this, in turn, empowered him to not only write Star Wars, but also develop the Industrial Light and Magic, or ILM, which was Lucas's revolutionary special effects company that still exists today and has had its hand in numerous films. So this creativity and innovation and the empowerment of it really created these two wonderful things that are still big money makers, big things today. And now, Mo, I know that you believe that innovation is important and even necessary, but today we're going to look at it through the lens of a leader's role and their responsibility of not just being innovative, but nurturing innovative leaders. So why don't you go ahead and start us off by telling us the first way that leaders can nurture other leaders to be innovative and creative. Well, yeah. And uh, again, I mean, great opening as always. And George Lucas is just really revolutionize so much of the industry. So I love hearing and a lot of that stuff, honestly, Scotty, I've, I've, I've never heard it before. So uh, thank you for sharing that with uh, not just our listeners, but um, also me. <laughs> so um, <laughs> the, the first way that we're going to, as leaders, nurture innovative leaders that are under us is this leaders empower creative mindsets. 
And Scott, that's exactly what you just talked about. That's what George Lucas did. And so leaders acknowledge that there's individual strengths and passions, and that's going to end up allowing their, their team members to experience and take calculated risks. So the first question really I have for today is, you know, are you helping your people take those calculated risks to be creative? Because Scott, the best leaders promote innovation by creating an environment, um, a specific environment, and actually it has a lot to do even with a psychological safety, which helps their people to really just let, let their creative uh, juices, you know, just kind of start uh, flowing. Yeah, I, I love that idea of fostering psychological safety. Just what what a, what a concept to to think about when you are thinking about empowering not only those around you, but also just uh, creating a, a workplace that's conducive to to just growth. And I know that right. that of environment promoting that psychological safety can really just foster uh, what we've talked about in previous episodes of a growth oriented mindset. And yes. so if we think about that, what what would be some practical steps that that leaders can take to foster that growth oriented mindset kind of among those team members? Sure, that that's a great question. You know, there, there's a ton of ways to help your people become better and have that growth oriented mindset uh, and really just kind of get that moving. And so um, here, here's like here's just a couple leaders that are listening. Are you creating le learning opportunities for your people? Like, are you telling them, man, you need to go to seminars. You need to be reading books. You need to be talking to people because you need to let your people know that that it's important for them uh, to, to create these learning opportunities because the more they learn, they're going to bring that back to your team. So leaders, try this one. Next time somebody comes to you and says, hey, I really want to go hear so-and-so speak um, or, or go to this seminar. Instead of thinking the first thing that most people do, which is, oh man, this is not in the budget. Start talking about, well, what would that mean for, for you to get there? How can we do this? How can we help? Because if they do that kind of thing, it's going to it's gonna make not just them better, it's going to make you better as, as a team. Scott, you had mentioned before that you got to see uh, one, of, one of your heroes, uh, Jocko Willink, speak. And yeah. your organization is better today because of you going to hear Jocko speak and, 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 and getting to learn from him. That's important, not just for you, but it's important for your team. It's important for the community that, that you work for and everybody wins. So leaders, are you creating those learning opportunities? You should really encourage that. Scott, another thing that we need to encourage is continuous skill development. Now, we don't want people just to go to, to seminars and listen. We want them to get active as well, right? And so mm -hmm. you and I talk about this a lot, and, and I'm always asking not just what you're reading, Scott, right? But how are you applying this to your life? How does, we always talk about, and anybody who's done leadership with me before is going to hear me say at some point, how does this have to do with the Scott project? <laughs> well, because <laughs> when I, when my mentors talk to me, they always are asking me, well, how does this have to do with the Mo project? And so for our leaders out there, you, you are the project. It's not anybody else. You're not working on your people. They're not cars. Okay, you need to 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 tell them, man, I really want you to 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 develop your skills and not just tell them how to do that, but ask them, how can I be a part of that process? And one more thing, Scott, is this and this one is, is really important. Supporting personal projects. Now, you mentioned that Lucas has I think you called it the ILM, which is his, his mm -hmm. it's almost like his his unknown baby, right, that yeah. nobody really knows about. But. That's what really fires him up. 
And so that's his personal project. And that might not even make him the big bucks, but I'll bet you, Scott, right, that that's probably his most cherished project because it's something that really means a lot to him. So leaders, what are you doing to help the organizational goals of your uh, team, of the, the, the individuals? And are you thinking of ways to help your people become better? Because here it is. When you focus on empowering creative thinking in your people, it's going to ultimately lead to increased engagement and a sense of ownership among your employees. Yeah, that that's really good stuff. I always like to think of the uh, Scott Project as this forever loading <laughs> bar that just slightly that's gets right. bigger and more and more loaded. But uh, <laughs> maybe one day it'll reach a hundred percent. We'll see. So. Yes, um, that that's that's honestly really great stuff. I love those ideas. Mm. So then, what would be be a good next step for nurturing innovative leaders? Yeah, another good step for uh, for um, nurturing uh, innovative leaders is this: leaders focus on collective success. Uh, now, Scott, you know that the individual success is important, and like I just said, we are always working on the Scott project. I'm always working on the Mo project. For our leaders out there, you are the project, right? Well. After you're working on that project and you're helping everybody else on your team individually work on themselves, what does the collective success mean? For your specific team at your specific company, what does success look for you? What are the deliverables of the team? What are the things that you need to show that you are making progress? Because Scott, when it comes down to it, if your team is not looking towards the collective success, then your team isn't, there's no need for it. In fact, Cheryl Batchelder, um, when she took over Popeye's Chicken, one of the things she said is there's way too many projects going on in this, in this company. We're going to narrow it down to like from like 70 something all the way down to just a few. And if you can't find a place on one of those few that matter, well, then you're not going to be part of this collective success. And Scott, guess what happened? People got really effective <laughs> really fast because she said, this is what we're going to do to focus on the collective su success of the team. And so, in fact, th there's going to be a link. Uh, if you haven't uh, re read any of Sh Cheryl Batchelder's um, uh, uh, stuff, you really need to, to pick up uh, the book that, that I'm talking about because she really helps people understand what it means to be that kind of servant leader. So, Scott... For our leaders today, they really need to focus on the collective success. Yeah, 100%. And so I, I know that we we talk a lot about uh, like building bridges really between people and ideas and through that, getting the best out of each team member. So then why is it important for the collective success of the team to be put above the individual? Yeah, if we're, if we're focused on us first, then really, Scott, that's really going to get in the way of everything else that we're supposed to be doing. So leaders, are you putting yourself first or are you putting your, your the, the, the people on your team first? Because until you do that, your people are, are not going to do the same thing for their people, for the people that look to them. And so just as we see Cheryl Batchelder that, that I mentioned before in Dare to Serve, you know, she learned how to serve her people. Once she learned how to serve her people, that opened up the doors for her to help others do the exact same thing. So, Scott, um, 
we want to talk about collective success and we want to talk about what that means. And I wanted to tell a story, but I thought to myself, um, when I came up with this, this great story, I thought about it, thought, I, I really can't do it justice. So Scott, before I mess anything else up, why don't you tell us um, about this next story that's really good. And, and Scott, you called it a trilogy when I called it a book. So why don't you tell us about the trilogy of the Lord of the Rings? <laughs> yeah. When uh, I have ever questions about leadership, you are the foremost expert that I turn to. And uh, when it has to do with nerd type things or what we consider that, I, I am that expert. So <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but yeah, so the classic trilogy, Lord of the Rings, so written by J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, so there's if you know anything about it, there's this diverse group of characters and you may or may not call it a fellowship. Uh, they represent different races, backgrounds, skills, uh, and essentially come together to destroy the one ring to rule them all and subsequently save Middle Earth. So this fellowship, which is led by the wise uh, Gandalf the Grey or Gandalf the White, depending on the book that you're reading, uh, showcases yeah. really the power of, of cross-functional collaboration. So mm. Gandalf as the leader understands that that their success relies on the combined strengths of each member. And so he really encourages open dialogue and really respects each member's unique contribution. And we won't get into each and every member, but you've got Frodo the ring bearer, um, who probably would not have succeeded without the guidance of Samwise Gamgee. Um, the loyalty of Aragon <laughs> assisted, the, and obviously the intelligence of Gandalf. You've got the bravery of Legolas and, and even the resourcefulness of, of Gimli the dwarf. And, and obviously there are, are others. And, and really, even if you think about it, even Gollum or Smeagol, uh, depending on, you know, what mindset he is in, uh, contributed positively to the journey that the fellowship mm -hmm. actually went on. So even, even that individual who isn't necessarily um, a good guy per se contributed positively to that. Hmm. Yeah, and Scott... The reason I love the story and I wanted you to tell it, obviously for our listeners out there, there's no way I could have said anything Scott just said because he just, he, he nailed it. And so Scott, every time I always learn when you talk about Lord of the Rings, but leaders, you know, if you're in an organization, you really need to take a page out of Gandalf's book because this is what I do know. By fostering what Scott mentioned as that cross-departmental interaction, which is essentially what we see in Lord of the Rings. Uh, and then when we encourage participation to solve problems, this allows individuals with diverse skills and perspectives on your team to unite towards the common goal, which is what we see in the trilogy. And so just as the fellowship's very talents um, contribute to, uh, I think, Scott, you called it uh, Middle Earth's uh, salvation, you know, the yep. collaborative leadership empowers teams to find innovative solutions that draw upon uh, every, every member's vastly different strengths. So this approach can lead to a more effective problem-solving um, and, and, and groundbreaking uh, kind of ideas. So, and Scott, it really ultimately drives the organization's success forward. Yeah. So, so then I have to ask, what are what are some actionable strategies for leaders to to build that collaborative atmosphere that would then in turn fuel innovation? Yeah, I'll give you a, a couple quick ones. And, and, and here, here's a couple of techniques that you might want to kind of just put put in your quiver and, and, and use when you get a chance. And the first is this, um, to focus on diverse problem-solving approaches, meaning leaders, you need to encourage your teams to approach problems differently and different angles because 
you only know how to, how to approach a problem by your angles, okay? You need to look at other people and say, how would you, to whatever member on your team, how would you approach this problem? What's the angle you would take? Because by incorporating these perspectives from different departments or people within department, you can arrive at, trust me, a, a more comprehensive and, and vastly different uh, innovative, innovative solution than you would have had if it was just the way that you do things. The second one is this, um, that we focus on transparent resource allocation. Now, that's just a fancy way of saying to make sure that the resources that you have, which are time, budget, manpower, whatever, are allocated in, in a fair way across all departments, all the people within those, those departments. So everybody feels like they have what they need because this promotes a sense of equity and cooperation and make sure that people have what they need to get the job done. Yeah, so it, it seems really then that both being diverse and transparent kind of gives those leaders a great edge when it comes to serving their team members. Absolutely. And yeah. And in, in turn, it almost seems like that really, I guess the impact of that kind of leadership of being diverse and transparent um, can affect that team cohesion, uh, morale, and, and ultimately innovation outcomes. Right. Right. And so we've, Got those first two steps down. So then what is the next and final step for nurturing innovative leaders? Yeah, I would say the, the third and final step to nurturing innovative leaders that we're talking about today is this. Leaders cultivate purposeful empathy. So leaders who focus on empathy and what I like to call a human-centric approach, they, they play a crucial role in cultivating purposeful innovation. Now, Leaders who value empathy inspire their team members. Um, they give them a sense of belonging, a sense of commitment to the organization, and it really just makes an innovative journey. And so one of the guys that I followed for a long time is, is Howard Schultz. And you may know him from his company that he uh, started and owns called Starbucks. Now, uh, they serve coffee, right? Wrong. Howard Schultz always says this. He viewed, he said, we don't serve coffee we serve people. And that is awesome. <laughs> I think that's a great way to kind of look at his enterprise. And by bringing it down to the level of person to person, he was able to put that spin on what would have otherwise just been a store that serves coffee. I mean, just got to think about it. He has inspired us, Schultz, pretty much single-handedly, to leave our houses where we all have perfectly good coffee machines to go out and sometimes be in line of five, six, seven, nine cars to get coffee from his establishment. Now, if that is not genius, I don't know what is. But Schultz would say that the way he did that was that he focused not on the coffee, but he focused on the people. Now, it doesn't matter to me whether you think Starbucks tastes good or it doesn't. And I, I have a lot of friends that are, you know, they, they've got specific tastes and they don't like Starbucks because this or that. I love Starbucks, okay? I, I'm a Starbucks <laughs> junkie. I, every, Scott, you know it. Everybody knows it. Um, I, I enjoy a good cup of coffee somewhere else, but hey, Give me a Starbucks on the way home and, and, and I'm there. <laughs> so they may not get everything right, but what Schultz really focused on, Scott, and what he got right, and if you read any of his books, you see that Schultz really did focus specifically on what it meant to serve people. Yeah, that that's super interesting. And I will say that I tend not to wait in the long lines because I'm oval order. <laughs> so now that secret that's is fun. out, but that's it's smart. quicker. Yeah. So, 
but overall, yeah, that, that's, that's really, really interesting. And especially because he's created such a name that when I hear the name Schultz and Starbucks, I immediately think of red cup season and those holiday drinks. And <laughs> that's right. It's, it seems silly, but I mean, he has created that, that type of thing. And so what do you think it is really about Howard Schultz that was, that was different? So you again, set up that he found a way to get people to leave their houses to buy coffee. So really, what is that all about? Yeah, there, that's a great question. And I've read several books on on Starbucks and, and Howard Schultz. But if you want to read one great book about what it really is about uh, Schultz kind of journey and what he was what he wanted people to know and, and experience, um, pick up uh, the, the book. And again, it's going to be in the links at the bottom, but it's called Pour Your Heart Into It. How Starbucks Built a Company One Cup at a Time. <laughs> and, and, you know, not, not to spoil the book for you, but anybody who knows Schultz knows that he was never worried about being the smartest guy in the room. He was always trying to find people that were better than he was mm. um, to get on his team because he knew that that's what he needed to make the company better. And in fact, he learned um, that uh, it was about valuing people over everything else. And once you get the people on your side, Scott, believing uh, in, in that vision or goal or whatever you do, that's going to just kind of come along with it. So I guess mm. really for our listeners today, the question is, how do you treat your people? How do you see them? Do you treat them like a line item? Because Howard Schultz actually has a whole chapter about do not treat your people like a line item because they are not a line item. Okay. My hope is that you look as a leader listening to this podcast, that you look for the value in your people and not what they can produce for you or the company, but how their strengths can connect with the rest of the people on your team. Because everything goes back to, again, Jim Collins, good to great, right? You can get mm. a lot of people uh, and, and you can get, get uh, a, a lot of smart people. But if you don't have them in the right place um, and doing the right things and doing things right, then it, you might as well not even have them. But when you get good people and you treat them well, then you're going to see some changes. And that's what Howard Schultz really did. Um, in fact, he was one of the guys and a lot of companies have done this, um, but he got rid of the term employee and he replaced it with the word partner. So whenever you talk mm. about Starbucks, you always hear about partners, right? A Starbucks partner. That was Schultz. Mm. And he did it 25 years ago before anybody was thinking about it. Small changes about changing attitude and being genuine with your people. That's what's important. I cannot overstate that because that's what's important to be empathetic and to get mm. your people on your side they're not a line item. They are exactly what you're supposed to be doing to serve them. And so mm. I guess that's what we mean, Scott, by cultivating purposeful empathy. So our leaders out there that are listening, you can do it. Anybody can do it. It's just a matter of taking the time. Are you willing to take the time to do that? Yeah, it really seems that uh, cultivating that purposeful empathy is just such an important ingredient to driving innovation. And I, I know that I want to be the kind of leader to focus on that transformational potential of my team and be more people centric in my leadership. And so I'm going to yes. definitely have to strive to to remember that <laughs> idea of cultivating that purposeful empathy. So uh, sure. before we go, do, do you have any final thoughts for us today, Mo? Yeah, I, I just have one quick one. It's this one, Scott. Um, I want to encourage our listeners to, to share their experiences with their people, share your challenges, share success with your people. And just make sure that you are bringing them along on the journey. Nurture 
them as innovative leaders and trust me, it's, it's going to make a big difference. Do this with the men and women that you trust in your life. Do it with the men and women that are on your team. Connect with them. In fact, connect with somebody today and ask them what you can do to help nurture their uh, uh, innovation. And I'm telling you, they're going to they're gonna see that, Scott, and they're going to want to get on your side and they're going to want to do more for you and for the company. Yeah, that's great. And that I'm going to finish out a little different here because that, that, that closing <laughs> remarks just reminded me of one of my absolute favorite quotations. And it's just every interaction is an opportunity for influence. And I just feel that yes. your, your final thoughts for today uh, just really spoke straight into that. Hmm. Well, everybody, uh, with that, that brings us to the end of this episode. If you guys enjoyed listening today, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe. And don't forget to share. Thank you all for joining us today. We'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rising Tide Leadership Podcast. Highlights and resource links are available for you in the show notes. We hope that you will join us next time as we continue on the leadership journey. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss out and share with others so they don't miss out. See you next time.